0: I had my heart broken a lot. I guess you could say I let it be broken a lot. I was so romantic. I was, from the time I was little, I had kindergarten, I had crushes. I was always falling in love with somebody and generally it was unrequited. I have journals. My children got into them a few years ago. We were literally on the floor laughing about how I would write, about this one kid, I loved him, I loved him, I loved him. Every day, will he ever love me? I think that might've been fifth or sixth grade. Well, when you're that kind of personality, you end up getting your heart crushed. There's just no two ways about it. And by the time I was a slightly older, but somehow not any more sophisticated about love, I fell in love with an alcoholic. I didn't know I'd fall in love with an alcoholic. I didn't even understand those dynamics. It would take me a lot of years and a lot of unfolding. And I love this person so much. I can almost taste it right now, even after decades. Decades have gone by. I love this person so much. And it was such a snarl, such a tangle, such a dysfunctional place. I spent a lot of time crying, uh, throwing myself at the bathroom, weeping in my bed, writing in journal after journal. Why is this not working? The genuine pain, I think, was that I thought somehow that I was the one who could change the behavior of the alcoholism. I thought that I could do something. I thought that my love was sufficient and realizing it wasn't was cataclysmic to me. And ultimately brought me to my knees and to the doorstep of a more profound, real, accessible and useful relationship with the divine. Welcome to the only podcast that will bring you more alive while you smash the patriarchy. Join me, Sam Wilde, a.k.a. The Fertile Feminist, every week As we shift the paradigm, reclaim our native fertility, and create together the version of ourselves that brings forth our heart's desires and changes the world. Welcome back, my wonderful, wonderful listeners, and welcome anybody new listening, really exciting. Please don't forget to share this podcast with those that you love We're here because we want to come awake. We're here because we want to come awake for the whole world. We want to awaken the whole world to a sense of aliveness. We don't want to keep, you know, sludging on in that kind of half-lived experience. We don't want to just be watching all the polar caps melting. We want to be part of making a fertile world. And it begins here inside the space of our heart, really claiming and owning that sense of fertility, the fertility that smashes the patriarchy, that's a lot of what we're about here. And today I'm going to talk about the fertility of grief. And if you've never heard that phrase before, good. Uh, it's its my phrase, the fertility of grief. Grief is so fertile. It's incredible. And I told you just a little opener to one of my experiences in grief here at the beginning of the podcast. And it makes me think of the quote from Rumi, the Sufi mystic, who said, who wrote, The wailing of broken hearts is the doorway to God. We, because of patriarchy, because of limits in our understanding, because of lies that have been perpetuated about life itself, we have this sense of grief and loss as a barrenness. And believe me, that has certainly been my felt emotional experience coming into places of grief and loss feels like the end. It feels like death. It feels like the desert. Uh, It's a kind of agony. When in a recent grief, I lost a baby halfway through a pregnancy, which was devastating, was a very much wanted, loved baby. It was a loss uh, on top of many other losses. So it had many different elements to it that made it particularly hard. For me in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been as hard for other people. It was so much grief that I found I really couldn't practice yoga. <clears throat> Those who know me know I've been teaching yoga for a long, long time. I've been practicing yoga since I was nine years old. Yoga is a, it's a language. It's a homeland to me. It's a place I go all the time for restoration. It, it really is so familiar to me. It, it's as familiar to me as anything in my entire life. And I couldn't, move. It was too painful. My personal practice was too painful. I was able to keep teaching, but even then moving my body was like an agony. Now I didn't have a physical ailment. I didn't have any uh, physical diagnosable problems that were going on with my body. I wasn't bruised. I wasn't sick. I wasn't ill. And yet everything hurt to move. And that, that was the depth of that grief, that it was just everywhere. It was just everywhere inside of me. And and you must be familiar with grief like that because all of us experience grief. Grief tells us that we're isolated. Grief tells us that we're alone. Grief tells us that there's some kind of hierarchy, right? When we're in grief, we are experiencing the worst of it. And um, in that way, it's a very patriarchal thought process that comes to us around grief. Uh, nobody can help me. This is the worst kind of thing. I'm suffering like nobody else can suffer. And it just brings us into a dark, dark dungeon of aloneness. And the answer to that is to experience the truth of it, fertility of grief. If you imagine the experience of a forest going through a forest fire, which is devastating, right? This is not a question of whether the things that happen to us are devastating. Um, that they don't bring us to despair, that they are awful, that we don't wish they wouldn't happen. That's not what I'm saying. You know, you have a forest fire. It's devastating. There's destruction. That's absolutely true. But we also know that from that fire, there's an amazing and unique kind of fertility in that forest because of the qualities of the burn that brings new life, new growth and new species of life to growth inside of a forest. We are just the same. We are just the same. There's a richness inside of that grief and loss. There's a promise that is always fulfilled inside of it. If we're willing to sit, listen, trust, be diligent in our seeking. It's important to me to apply the word fertility a lot to reclaim the word fertility, to bring it out of a sort of medical subsection that has only to do with our ovaries, and to really understand that it, it gives us a true perspective of life and life force. Grief feels like death, but it's actually part of our life, right? We're having our grief as part of life. We're still in the flow of life. And that quote by Rumi, that that it's the doorway to God. Most of the people I know have come to their spiritual practice. They've come to their relationship with the divine through some experience that's maybe harrowing, uh, maybe horrible, maybe just challenging. It varies, sometimes deeply heartbreaking. Doesn't always happen. Plenty of people I know have gone through loss. And and it's made them bitter and distant and cynical. And I have no judgment about that. But through that grief, we can find ourselves at the precipice of new understanding, new reality, dawning concepts of healing that move us into a new place, that move us into that new forest of growth. If we lived in a culture that knew, understood, claimed and spread the word that loss and grief are a place of fertility, what would be different? It it wouldn't be that you would never have grief or loss or go through these hard times or have your heart broken. It would be a sense of, as I said before, that promise, a sense of what's on the other side of grief, a sense that inside of grief, There is something for us that's monumental. When I was young and had fallen in love with this wonderful alcoholic, the story I sort of told you in the beginning, it came to a point where it was really, really a bad situation. And it was a volatile situation relationship in some ways it was violent it was unpredictable it was scary from day to day it was uncertain what would happen and because I wasn't truly educated about alcoholism codependency or my role in it or any of those components it was confounded the agony by confusion and there was a lot of drive in me to understand I was already somebody on a spiritual path. I was doing a lot of praying. Probably it was a lot of begging, definitely not the way that I pray now. And I got to that place, you know, really just lying on the floor and uh nothing, empty, uh, dry, barren death. A sense that I couldn't go on, that I didn't understand what was happening and it was, it was hard for me at that point to imagine anything worse than feeling trapped inside of this love that was, of course, not love, as I know now. And there came a day where this person that I was in love with who was no longer living with me walked by me on the street in front of the house. It wasn't interacting with me at that point. It would, like, come and go. Sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. It was, like, one of those hot and cold on and off situations and I had an experience that was so visceral it was as if it was happening real-time physically in my body where this person walks by and I looked at them and my heart uh, became a flashlight it became no a floodlight not a flashlight I'm sorry it became a floodlight it was it was a giant glowing light and it was directed in their direction. And it was pouring out this love. And I hadn't visualized that or prayed about that or asked for that to happen. But in the moment, that moment, I felt my love light. And I understood two things very clearly. I understood that it wasn't mine, that light, and that I could direct it wherever I wanted that if I turned to the right, it would shine to the left. Right. And if I turned to the left, it would shine to the left. If it turned up, it would shine up. If I turned down, it would turn down. It was shining at this person because I was standing there shining it in their direction. But I was in control of this love light. and. It was such an awareness of the fact that love was a generative quality that I was having moved through my body. I mean, it was absolutely the, the agape, an experience of agape, the love of the divine for all of us. And that moment changed everything. It completely changed my life. It completely changed that situation. Mom, it was the beginning of the end, a real, real end to what had been an agonizing a period of three years, of like real sickness. You get that, right? And it was the beginning of understand, an understanding of the sacred, an understanding of Divine Mother, an understanding of God. It was also an understanding of myself as a lover, as somebody who loves, as somebody who expresses and allows that love to move through them. It was a return to a sense of autonomy and power. It was a gift. It was a gift of fertility. It was a gift that came from the fertility of that terrible entanglement. And there were so many gifts I could tell you actually, that came from that experience. That's a long time ago. So perhaps you're saying, well, you know, you just were in love with someone in your 20s. It's not such a big deal. I've had real losses, you know, big losses, tremendous losses. I also have had many different variations of loss, uh, bigger griefs, adult griefs. One might say griefs that weren't about just heartbreak, if certainly was an incredible grief for me to go through my divorce. If you've gone through a divorce, you might know a little about that. If you've gone through a really harrowing divorce, you'll know more about that. If you've gone through a divorce with children, you'll know a little bit more about that. If you've gone through a divorce where you feel like you barely made it out alive, which was my experience, you'll know even more about that. Each of us, again, this sense that there could be a hierarchy to our griefs is a patriarchal understanding. In patriarchy, there's always hierarchy. Mine is worse. This is the most terrible. But actually, our griefs have much more in common with one another, which is not to say that we can truly understand. You know, I haven't lost a a child that lived. I haven't lost a living child. And it's hard for me to imagine such a tremendous, phenomenal grief. I know people who have, I know people who've lost mothers. I have not personally lost a mother. And when I sit with people, when I listen to people, there's both that sense of the magnitude of a grief that we haven't walked through and also that sense of a yearning for connection. So we don't wanna let the patriarchal thought uh, bring us to a place where we're just reserving some kind of judgment. In grief, there is commonality. In grief, there's connectivity. And in grief, there is belonging. And in grief, there is fertility. If you're going through any kind of experience of grief or loss, you could have a friendship that's been wounded, you could go through a divorce, you could be in an unrequited love situation, you could have lost your job, you can lost your identity, you could be experiencing the death of people very close to you that you love or multiple deaths. Whatever experience of grief or loss that you might be walking through, if you could imagine it as walking through that forest that has experienced destruction and change, real change, real transformation. And yet your job becomes to be the one who is looking expectantly for the new growth. And not just new growth, not just like, okay, we're just gonna grow back the same tree but new and different kinds of growth. Every sincere seeker who's experienced grief and loss will talk about how it brought them to a powerful new understanding in their spiritual journey, a new awakening. And there's not anybody I can actually think of sitting here thinking about, you know, gurus and teachers who really didn't come to it out of incredible loss. I think, for example, Byron Katie, who I know Uh, her teachings i like her very much hers was an awakening right people use that they're there they had an awakening and generally the awakening is the flip side of, of a really hot steaming pile of crap your steaming hot pile of crap is not just an invitation it is fertile ground it is immensely creative ground and we don't need to do anything let's say if somebody was in a real place of grief or loss at this moment in time that doesn't seem very helpful we just want to drop it in like a homeopathic we want to drop the concept in that we are walking on fertile ground rather than on barren ground inside of those moments I was reading and thinking the other day about um, being an older, quote, older mother. I'll put that in quotes because I'm not so much a fan of the way we count chronological age. And it made me think about many, many characters in the Bible who are women, who are 90, like Sarah, for example, um, who have babies at very advanced ages, much more advanced than the age at which I had my last baby. And these women in these stories are considered barren. Now, you know this is going to be important because we're talking about fertility. The opposite of fertility is being barren. So these are, and you can think about this metaphorically. You can think about this mystically. You don't have to just think about these stories literally. But in these stories, they are barren. They cannot have children. They are Begging God, they're pleading. They want to have babies. That is uh, not just part of what uh, life is all about, uh, but that's uh, fulfillment and uh, future. You know, having those children is your future. It's the carrying on of the future. There's so much significance in having children, and they can't do it, and they don't know why, and they are in incredible grief and agony, crying out. Anybody who has struggled with what we term uh, or the medical profession, I should say, terms infertility. I wouldn't call it that. But anybody who's struggled with that knows the depth of that pain. And you feel like something is wrong with you. So in these stories, they're all barren. And yet, in those moments, which they are their most barren, if you're 90 years old and you want to have a baby, that's pretty barren, right? That is like, <laughs> that is the epitome of barren. And then God comes out and says, I'm going to give you a baby. I'm not just going to deliver it to the door. You're going to carry it in your body and you're going to have this child. Well, what's that metaphor? What's the power and potency of that kind of image? I want you to think about a 90-year-old woman who is pregnant. I want you to think about that. And that's really important because not all of us listening to this podcast are 20 years old. And we must retain the understanding that our fertility is not dependent on our age. It's not dependent on griefs and losses. It's in those moments of deepest sense of barrenness that incredible fertility arises. We would say miraculous fertility arises. Ageless fertility arises. It doesn't matter the depth of the loss. It doesn't matter the extent of the age. There comes this kind of fertility and it's born of spirit. It's born of this deep connection to universe. It's born of sitting in the presence of the great mother and understanding that she is alive, right? That archetype is alive and at work reading those stories and thinking about that story those stories and there are numerous examples like i said in the bible these old old ladies having the babies was so powerful to me in thinking not just about the kind of fertility that's born out of the worst grief we can imagine but the fact that it's perennial it's perennial as well as cyclical just like this season so you might be in a winter now but spring will come. And a perennial, as you know, from those who do any planting is the kind that comes back. It's the flower that comes back year after year after year. It is not killed by the frost. It is not killed by the snow. It is not killed by the cold. And that's you. And that's me. And that's the true meaning of fertility, a perennial quality that no circumstance of our life can overcome. And believe me, I have walked through circumstances where I felt surely that that life force was being overcome. And we can honor and acknowledge those losses. But our personal losses, our despair, depression, our grief, doesn't change the laws of life. It doesn't change the laws of fertility And it doesn't change the power of that fertility. I've said this before many times. The patriarchy wants us to be despairing, barren, right? Hopeless. So the people I know who are like fighting, fighting for all the good in the world, and, and simultaneously watching the news and getting more and more despair, that is the goal, the end goal. So patriarchy is the culture of infertility, it's the death culture, and it wants you to feel that way, right? And from that place, you have no power. There's nothing less powerful than a depressed person. We are completely disempowered. And so to truly be the ones who are fighting, we have to open our minds to the reality of the kind of fertility I'm talking about. Not that we don't grieve, not that we don't weep, not that we don't rail against it, get angry, whatever things need to happen, but that we have at the base an undergirding sense that our grief and loss are fertile fields. You know, it's like having that safety net underneath you all the time. So uh, things happen on, we struggle and so on, but underneath, all the time underneath us is a knowing that no matter how hard it is, it is still a fertile bed that we land in. If we sit there, if we cry out, if we ask Mother God, the universe, whatever language we use, Show me, show me where the growth is. Bursts of creativity are possible and that doorway into a really expanded sense of our spirituality. As well as truly the opportunity to be in greater service to other people. I couldn't have uh, had a good thought about my divorce when I was walking through it, certain parts of it. At uh, the very beginning, I was much more positive. But when we got into the meat of it, it was, it was just really hard. I wouldn't have been able to have a redeeming thought about it at the time. And it took a long time, I should say, to have a redeeming thought. But one of the best things that came out of that is that when other people came to me, both friends and people who work with me in mentorship, walking through a divorce or a similar sense of separation or separating for another person, I was able not just to be present in the way that we can be when we've gone through something similar, but to walk, I was able to truly walk beside somebody. That was a gift that came out of that grief. That was a way of having true fertility. And from it came connectivity and presence. The hand that reaches out to another one says, here I am. I certainly had a number of friends who followed after me and they hadn't had, I was the first one in my friend group to go through a divorce and they were able to turn and talk to me. And hopefully one or two things I said was useful, but even if it wasn't a thing I said, it's the presence. It's that knowing again, that you're not alone, that heals our sense of hierarchy, separation and patriarchy. So the invitation really is just to be willing to think a new and different thought, to be willing to stand up and counter the erroneous thoughts. This is the end, there's nothing here, this is uh, terrible, this is barren. And to really keep, okay, counter that thought, this is a fertile, fertile ground. This is a place of immense creativity. Growth is going to come from this, even though I can't see it or can't feel it or doesn't seem like it's going on, we trust it. You know, look, you're, we're in winter, And we could sit around and cry about the fact that spring isn't ever gonna come, but spring will come and it does come. Or think about the sun. Oh, gosh, it's been gray here. Gray, 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 day after day after day. The sun's always there, of course, but we could sit and we could cry. I want the sun, I need the sun. It's not coming back. I'm worried it'll never come back. But of course we know that the sun comes back because it never goes away right? The sun is not rising and falling away. We are turning away from it. And so there's that turning that becomes our power, just like it did when I had that love light when I was about 20, I'm 21 years old. And I understood that that love light, that akape, that power was moving through me, not mine, but mine to direct. That's all. That's all for this week. And until next week, I hope you have a really beautiful week, beautiful day. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Thanks for listening in. This is me, Sam Wild, a.k.a. The Fertile Feminist. And you've been listening to The Fertile Feminist Podcast. Find me on YouTube at the Samantha Wild aka the Fertile Feminist, and hit the website, thesamanthawild.com for all kinds of resources, inspirations, and ideas. Also on Instagram, at the Fertile Feminist. Until next week, may you tap into that native abundance, creativity, fruitfulness, and life force that's going to help us all bring about that more beautiful world that we know is possible.